Welcome to Speaking in First Draft, a Girls Right Now bi-weekly interview podcast series featuring the current and next generation of storytellers. In this podcast, our community members share a draft of one of their works in progress or completed pieces and discuss both the writing process and what creative expression looks like to them. Speaking in First Draft is hosted by me, Catherine Destin, the editor-in-residence and Mentee alumnae of Girls Right Now. Girls Right Now is a New York City-based nonprofit with over 25 years of history, breaking down the barriers of gender, race, age, and poverty to mentor and train the next generation of writers and leaders for life. In this final episode of Speaking in First Draft, Season 1, mentee Justine Ramirez and mentor Viviana Leo engage in a conversation about authentic representation of humanity in script writing, the importance of planning and discipline in your craft, and the struggles with getting others to read your work. Join in on the laughs and enjoy this lighthearted conversation between two amazing storytellers. Welcome to the Speaking in First Draft podcast by Girls Right Now. My name is Justine Ramirez. I'm a fellow mentee at the program. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Viviana Leo, who is a mentor here at the program. How are you, Viviana? I'm pretty good, actually. How are you? Okay. I'm doing well, and I'm happy to actually be seeing you in person for the first time. It's exciting. It's exciting. Really hot, though. Very hot today. Um, so today we're actually here to talk about Viviana's pilot script for Miami-Dade County, and I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it briefly? Sure. Um, it was an idea that I had from my mom is a high school Spanish teacher in South Florida and she just watching her become so over it over the years like she's almost she's been trying to hold on till retirement so it's based on her uh the log line is Gabriela Santiago is three years from retirement as a Spanish high school teacher and she just doesn't know she's going to make it with hybrid classes difficult students and a new go-getter principal watching her every move it's a race to retirement day uh, that was that that I came up with a, a few months ago before I had the entire outline. Um, so I'm sure it'll change now that I have the whole outline done and I'm starting to write it. So you have your outline finalized and mm-hmm. you're still working on the pilot a little bit loosely. Um, you know, that's a really good question. <laughs> well, you know, typically... I have the outline, I start to write it, and I'm like, wait, I need to change it. So I'm sure there's going to be some changes, but probably not big ones. Got you. For now. (laughs) Can we dive into some of the excerpt that you do have? Oh, yes. I will read the teaser that I wrote and sent to you a couple months ago. Um, Miami-Dade County. Interior, Teachers Conference, South Florida morning. A Teachers Conference on diversity in large, depressing hotel lecture hall with low ceilings, fluorescent lighting, and a carpet that was chosen specifically to hide stains. Gabriela Rodriguez, mid-60s, Puerto Rican, approaches a sign-in desk. She looks at the name tags laid out and sees her name. The entirety of the table is 50% Maria and the other 50% Anna Maria. Gabriella picks up her name tag. Hi, my name is Gabriella. In large, gaudy school teacher letters, and signs in with a monitor, an everyday white woman, 50s. Gabriella. Excuse me, how long is this session supposed to go? Event monitor. Till five. Till five. That's right. Like a normal workday for everybody else. Gabriella slowly backs away from the table and quickly walks down the hallway. 
She does a 360 like the walls are closing in, looking for something. Then she spots an exit sign and walks towards it like a lifeline. She's almost to the exit, but hears hysterical giggles emanating from behind the door. Curiosity gets the best of her, and she approaches the door, knocking softly. The door opens, a smidge, and an unknown force pulls her in like a black hole. Interior, smoke-filled bathroom, teacher's conference day. Gabrielle is pulled into an ordinarily spacious family bathroom, but it's currently housing about eight teachers passing a joint. Rolando, Gabby's friend, history teacher, and general jock, brings Gabby into the fold. Rolando stoned. Gabby, glad you could join us. Rolando, what the hell are you doing? I need to suck on, I need you to suck on something. Someone hands him the joint and he offers it to her. She pauses. Don't worry about it. We're union. Gabriella swats away the joint. This is ridiculous. I'm leaving. Manon, the hot French teacher of 40s, pressures her. I knew she wouldn't take it. She is, after all, almost retired. Manon blows a cloud of tantalizing smoke in Gabby's face. All right, give me that. Grabs the joint, but struggles. Rolando, is this how you do it? Rolando helps her hold the joint correctly. Interior, Gabriella's bedroom, early morning. A peaceful early morning in Gabriella's bedroom. The soft morning light falls on Gabby and Kike, 60s, her husband. They're wrapped up in soft white sheets and a general haze of love. Gabriella looks at him sleeping. He wakes up and smiles at her. Gabby, you shouldn't settle. Kike doesn't finish when suddenly the image of them in bed darkens, leading to interior Gabriella's bedroom early morning reel. Gabrielle wakes up fully clothed, face down on her bed, in a complete opposite of the previous scene. It's dark, it's empty, it's cold. Gabriella lifts her head from a puddle of drool. What? Oh, God, what? She sits up, holding her head, her aching head. She immediately remembers and looks at Kike's photo beside her. Kike, you son of a... She gets up and immediately falls down. She gets up again, tangled in her purse. Damn it! She struggles to untangle herself. You want me a little clapping here? Clap. <laughs> you want to join me to clap for you? <laughs> yes, I loved it when I read it personally. Um, loved it, loved it. Now, um, obviously, you already talked about where some of your inspiration came from with mm-hmm. this script. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I'm always interested in stories based on authors' life experiences or perspectives. Um, what were some other details for you when writing this script that were important? There were authentic details to life that were important to keep in the story, and why? You know, there was something that I that was really important to me that was tricky. So the way I pitched it to, well, I wrote this in, in uh, pilot writing class that I took this past semester, and I'm getting ready to graduate, and that's one of that's going to be in my portfolio of uh, three uh, pilots. So I pitched a teacher that is completely over it and hates her students <laughs> for lack of a better word <laughs> she's just she just can't stand the school and the system and her students are a pain in her absolute ass and what was difficult about that was uh first i pitched that it was go it, she just needed to get to um to retirement and then my teacher very wisely said that that would set up a cat and mouse type of um storyline that wouldn't really last that long Mm. and so I was like yes you're absolutely right and the the big issue I had um was that it was like her her need her want was a negative 
Like she didn't want to teach anymore. And that's not active. And I totally get that. But I also couldn't make it that she, um, it was important to me that she not be one of those teachers that needed to make a difference because we've already seen that, you know, that's Abbott Elementary and that's, um, Mm -hmm. you know, typically the the storyline. And then I was at my wit's end, but I'm like, what makes this different is that she's over it, right? And so, like, at the end of the semester, I just didn't know where to go. And I was like, oh, this is working i hate everybody and then um <laughs> and then i realized the, the big thing that that wasn't being taken into consideration was she's teaching high school not elementary school it's really easy it's difficult to hate elementary school kids not impossible uh, <laughs> but different <yeah. laughs> my son's in first grade <laughs> some of his classmates i'm like oh my god it's hard to hate them when they're cute yeah <laughs> but for the most part they're adorable yes. and they're very loving when they get to high school, they tell you to fuck off. Like, literally, my mom has had that. Like, every teacher has that. And and you're like, why am I here? You know what I mean? And it's just such a different environment. And then I found um, a, uh, the show on Peacock, AP Bio. Yes. Which is about um, a teacher who does not want to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, so we discussed it in class. So I found it, and it was like a lifeline. I'm like, ah. It's been done. And I I know that <laughs> my professor was like, well, but he's, you know, he's he's actively trying to seek revenge on his nemesis. Like that's the, the storyline, the first um the whole first season. Mm-hmm. And I was I I felt like it wasn't I didn't kind of I, I kind of didn't believe that storyline, like seeking the nemesis. I'm like, I get, I get it, what they're trying to do. I just wasn't sold on it 100. Um, percent And indeed, they actually drop it in the second season because I think his nemesis like completely falls apart at the end of the first. So like, what do you do after that? You know, it's not strong enough obstacle at that point. Yeah, she like uh, this is you know oh, oh wise one. <laughs> she totally. <laughs> didn't agree with me so that's my full disclosure I'm like saying that I totally disagreed um anyway but it, it it taught me that I needed to focus on the high school experience and so I started bringing in but it was just like so important for me that it be this teacher that's over it that's burned out that's just like doesn't believe in education anymore. <laughs> The beauty of, you know, um, so I started bringing in, uh, unfortunately stuff that's really happening in Florida with the college, um, I think towards the North, I don't, I forget where it is, but, um, Ron DeSantis is, I think, trying to make a stupid point by, uh, destroying this amazing liberal arts, um, public school in this college um and he's uh replacing all the trustees and all uh the i think the pre- the prince or the sorry the president because it's um college just quit uh he was the last one sort of protecting the teachers and the students especially the students like it's a very um liberal safe place in florida for um students who are not uh white republicans (laughs) (laughs) they're not different they're just not white republicans (laughs) 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 so why not so i uh use that to as the um sort of a bit of a premise for um you know, not literally, but, but inspiration for the high school that she, the high school's becoming more, <clears throat> uh, 
more conservative and the uh, county is trying to control the feel of the school and is trying to uh, uh, push down the Latino community because in, in Florida it's all Latino and um, and so, so when, when you see Ron DeSantis doing things against like minorities, you're like, like you're surrounded by them. So, so it, it, it has become a story of Gabriella not wanting, like just really wanting to retire to be able to take care of her granddaughters, but seeing what's going on and having to fight to stay on just to protect her students who wear the boys who wear nail polish and the, um, you know, the, the artists who do musical theater and, and that kind of population that, yeah. that feels, and then even just her Hispanic students, which are like all of them. Um, I think you're in, in, in that kind of environment, you're, you're going to feel very, um, I don't know, like a second class citizen. I mean, <laughs> that's nothing new for any minority, right? But it's it's like they're Florida trying so hard to like bring that back as much as possible. I guess the U.S. entirely, right? You talked about a little bit here how you're bringing in these themes, you know, specifically in your story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do these <clears throat> themes compare to other stories that you've written in the past, or more oh. so pilots? Pilots, um, let's, I, you know, I actually always have a social conscious type of story. Got it. I I used to call it social impact. I guess that is social impact, but yeah. Um, the first pilot I wrote was about, uh, riches to rag story of a Puerto Rican family moving in with their daughter who lives in a small two bedroom in New York after Hurricane Maria. Um, first they lose everything and then the hurricane, they really lose everything and they move in with the daughter. Um, and the other, the second pilot era was, uh, is, uh, taking on postpartum, uh, depression and anxiety. And it's a group of women, um, finding, and one man actually <laughs> exploring a man having postpartum, <laughs> just a, a stay at home dad. That's different. Yeah, well, so there's a postpartum, like, the physical stuff, right? And then there's, like, the social stuff. And so um, this gay couple, one of them wants to be a stay-at-home dad, and he's finding, like, the alienation of, of, like, what his life was like, staying home with a baby. So I'm like, wow. Well, he's not going to necessarily, you know, he's not going to experience, like, childbirth and Right. But the social aspect of it. But there's a nuance totally... to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, would love, I would love to read this. Parts <laughs> <laughs> to everybody. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess there's always like a social impact, a social mm-hmm. message within your scripts. Yeah. How has uh, the writing process compared with the script specifically against others that you've written? Oh, it's been so different because every year you get clearer on what you're doing and, mm-hmm. and better and better, right? And so the first script I wrote was six years ago. Some, I think that's the first uh, pilot writing class I took, maybe less. Um, I forget. And and then yeah, just the difference in those in those few years from the what I learned about the importance of the strength of the structure, the uh, importance of how each scene fits into the story, how now I like look at it and I obsess over um, making sure that each scene can't be removed 
or the or the entire story falls apart and then determines like the strength of the scene and the um the drive of each character in each scene um the clear a b and c stories um yeah, it's just a lot different. Like like when you're first starting, you know these things, but it's not quite in your system yet. And it's not even, I wouldn't even say it's really in my system yet because I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to keep practicing. And you know what I mean? Like, like I'm so much more efficient, but I'm still going to grow so much. So like maybe five, ten years from now, it's going to be so yeah, you know, for it. Yeah, I'm going to for it. Mm-hmm. We talked about this previously. How important is outlining in your process? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't used to be. I didn't really know what outlining. I don't. I don't think I knew how to or like how to help it or how to um, make it help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I. S- I'm, I'm going to hesitate. I don't want to say it's everything because I, and I know I've, I've had a professor who say that's literally writing a outline. Yes. Okay. But everyone writes differently. And I have written, um, like features without a line, uh, without an outline and they've been structurally perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that was not necessarily like by design. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so now I like, I, I make the design to be nice to yeah. me. Um, but everyone just writes them differently. And a lot of, t- a lot of the time, sometimes I remember in this one class I was writing, uh, and I couldn't quite get the voice. I was trying to do the outline, but I couldn't understand where they were going. Cause I didn't, hear their voices yet until I wrote like a few scenes so I had to go ahead and write a few scenes that weren't going anywhere or I knew that I would probably totally throw out and then go and then go back to the outline because I finally heard um the characters and I was like oh okay this is this is where they want to go this is what they're doing um Every time you talk about hearing the characters, it's just com- it, it's so compelling to me because it's like you don't fully recognize these people that you're creating until like it, it's like really like getting to know a stranger. Yeah, it is getting to know a stranger, and even though you have all control over them, you don't really yeah, it's, you don't really have them fully fleshed out until the end. It's, it's so really interesting cool. when you talk yeah. about that. Yeah, um, and you know, I. I I've also been an actor and you talk about your character and it's, it's kind of cool, like actors and writers and they, they carry these characters <clears throat> as an actor. You're like, you, when you, when you portray this person, like they're always kind of a part of you. And then when you're a writer, you're creating that person that's sort of like knocking around in the, in your head. I think that's why a lot of um, like acting and writing kind of hold hands. Like a lot of people do both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, John Leguizamo, in his, one of his uh, several books, um, wrote that if he didn't have, I think he wrote something along the lines of, if he didn't have writing, he would have lost his mind. Really? And I totally get it, because, like, while I am waiting for a freaking agent and for this role and for everything I can, and for me to be the right height and the right color and the right what, blah, 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 I'm writing and I'm writing my own characters and I'm, and I'm shooting a lot of my own stuff. And creating your own space at the end of the day. Yeah. If you don't make space for you, you're going to make space for yourself. Yeah. That's what you totally. 
there's no option at this point. I know. To be honest. Yeah. And then it's interesting, like with all this, um, with so much, so much, I mean, obviously there's like an overwhelming amount of content, but there's also a, um, a lot of opportunities for, to put your content. Like just the other day, I was like, you know, my feature that I made in 2012 or 24, I forget the year. Anyway, but somewhere around there. Um, I, it's like back in 2014, I think was when we finally finished everything. Um, there wasn't too much, you know, it was like Netflix or, or like four wall, which means like put it into a theater. Like if you weren't picked up and, Yada, yada, yada. And there, that stuff was like emerging, but it wasn't, it wasn't like there, you know, Hulu, I think was still like two years off from, I don't know. I don't know the days, but yeah, like it wasn't as fluid as it is now. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't, um, there just weren't as many, there were starting to be peaking, uh, peaking out, but there weren't as many opportunities to put stuff. So I thought I was like, I need to put that out like online somewhere because now there's an opportunity and I was just thinking this the other day I'm like I need to put my film from 10 years ago somehow somewhere you know somehow (laughs) even if you recreate in a different way because that's another thing sometimes it's not that we don't like a story it's maybe we don't like the way it's formatted or maybe Mm. we don't or maybe we need to restructure the story even like retelling it so do you mean like webisodes even that yeah Yeah. even if like you wrote a film and maybe it works better as a series or you know even book to movie movie to book like sometimes it's just really formatting um so yeah i think i think it's important not to give up on a story even if i love that you said that i think it's important not to give up on a story i think there's an importance in like let's say having a journal where you write all those scrap ideas even if they're crappy ideas i think there is good details and good ideas and every quote-unquote crappy idea yeah there's something in everything yeah and sometimes you merge the crappy ideas and they become a good yeah, idea. <laughs> yeah. so something something is everything that's why when yeah. i would hear the advice you know writing is a discipline you have to continue to write in order to have ideas even if you have zero ideas it's just important to get something on the page that's because hard though no i'm like i imagine i mean i've never not had ideas right yeah imagine like i think a lot of people do struggle with having ideas right (laughs) also i always wanted to like we were just talking about teaching before um and i wanted to teach a course not really teach a course but just like take a group of writers to like the um the public library museum you know how they have like all this random stuff every time i go into the uh what's it called the one that with the two lions i forget the name of it but you know it's like on 40 oh the brain park one yeah yeah Yeah. it has like because there's the other one like the circulating one is direct is diagonally across from it Mm -hmm. yeah so the non-circulating one every time i go in there they have like something in that museum area and there's literally a million stories in there Um, i've never been to the museum it's really fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, now they, they used to have, they used to have like specific, they, they used to have like specific things that they would bring in. And now they're like, we just have so much stuff that we own. We're just going to bring out like, it's no longer like specifically this period or this or that. Now it's just like, like a, like a thrift store. So it's a jumbled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's how I learned about the um, 
just some really fascinating things that I never that I never knew about. There were like a, some secret society for gay men in the fifties or something. You know, like before they were allowed to. I forget. Like I, I wrote it down because I'm like, that's fascinating. Like, well, somebody to tell that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, but I completely no, I completely understand what you mean. The reading, reading is, is I think. A big thing too. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Um, so about how many drafts do you go through or should one work on before sharing with others for feedback? Oh God. Oh, share it right away. I mean, I guess it depends on who you are though. Well, the the structure of a writing class is did you study right? I forget. I know that you just graduated from Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um what did you study there? Did they have a I took a lot of film and media courses mm-hmm. that I didn't I took more so screenwriting. I didn't take a lot of T V writing courses. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. Oh so they have screenwriting. Okay. Um yeah, and you would come in every week, right, and share. Like in in the class structure, as soon as you write it, you, you bring it in and share. Oh yeah, we had sort of the structure where we would work, work maybe like we were working on a film, so we would work on maybe like ten fifteen pages, bring them in mm-hmm. as we went by, right? Um, but not necessarily a completed version. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So you're saying like when you have the completed versions, yes. how many drafts do you usually go through until you share it with someone? Is it as soon as you're done? Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I always um, send it to my husband, and then lately. And this is how I could tell he's like really um, stressed at work. Lately, he's like he has to be reminded to read it. I'm like, hey, what's <laughs> <laughs> well, a feature? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. do your homework. <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, I send it right away. But then I might not do anything with it. Like I think I had him read. Also, it's tricky to get people to actually read something. Mm. Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, there is a strong illiteracy problem <laughs> in Hollywood. Not strong motivation problem, more so. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. I can understand why. You know, I can understand why maybe you send a forty-page script to someone. Maybe they're not always inclined to read it. But maybe not because they're not interested. Yeah, I mean, who's not going to read the first five? Oh, well, most people. Are you serious? No one reads anything. No one reads anything. <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem. It's hard to get people to read a five-page excerpt. Yeah. <laughs> My mother won't read a five-page <laughs> She won't be like, I don't understand. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, that's real. That's real. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know, and it's five pages. And usually if you've written enough and you've read enough, you could tell by the first two whether you want to go on. Right. Do you think Actually, that's because, yeah, that is important. I always make sure to start every story off with a bang. Mm, do you think it's maybe an issue with not everyone is used to reading screenwriting? I think they just get too many, um, too, like, we're pulled in so many directions. Mm, yeah, yeah, time. Mm-hmm. Like it just it's kind of sucks because they're like ah, more women writers more you know I'm like well you have to read it actually <laughs> you gotta give me a shot I know yeah yeah it's it's really interesting and then you hear of um you know I've been applying to stuff like like uh, Tri- Tribeca's uh, 
grants. And recently I, I applied to Sundance for the first time this past like, couple months. And, but I've been, you know, I've been like around the whole thing and you hear stories and I have, I know people who didn't even have a script in the first place. And like Sundance approached them and they're like, can you write something for our program? And then we'll accept you. And I'm like, but you, but you, but yeah, <laughs> there's like 10,000 other scripts who are done. <laughs> And ready. I've known people like that. Can you believe it? insane. Yeah, and then these people are like, I don't. Like, this one guy, he's like, no, I can't think of anything. (laughs) Let me think for you. (laughs) Put me in your shoes. Now, sir. But what's what's that priority? Is, Is Are these writers that are already established? I mean, well, well, established. one of them, so the, the the one person I'm thinking of, he um, had a short at Sundance, and so, oh, then, it's, yeah, it was Tribeca who asked him if he had anything else, and he kind of did it, because it was like a one-off, he, did, he does something else for his day job, you know, his job, yeah. and... Um, it's arts related, but it's not filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, no, I'm sorry. I, I really, you know, but I'm like, well, what about the 3000 submissions that you just got? <laughs> <laughs> what about those? And <laughs> <laughs> that guy gave recommendations. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You gotta think about it. I mean, it's because look, look, like this guy has, you know, I just have to think like this guy has, this opportunity to, um, you know, he's like a man, you know, like, let's just say he's a man. He's not the one, you know, like who he's, he's gonna know other men who maybe have, or, or, you know, like, I I just feel like it's going to cut that kind of behavior is cutting out like voices from, you know, you grew you said you grew up in the Bronx Mm -hmm. or, um, voices from like the, the, the female population or, you know, like it's gonna, it's limiting your circle, um, into just who you know and who has quote unquote proven themselves. Yes. It's, it's, I understand that it's a risk maybe, um, but it's not that much of a risk. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, what's the risk having something a little bit different you know what well, I mean you having resources yes probably got chances are they're going to do well you know mm-hmm. like resources matter they do yeah <laughs> you know um yeah so but you know that's a whole different thing the, the whole like Sundance and Tribeca and blah 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 like yeah anyway a whole different feel <laughs> yeah as a mentor yourself could you describe the importance of mentorship in your personal writing process I have always wanted to be a mentor, even before I could was qualified to be a mentor, <laughs> when I had nothing to mentor about. Um, but the reason I so I went to an all girls boarding school for high school, um, and and then I went to you know in college. I graduated college. I was um, trying so hard to get on a film set, and you said UPA, yes, which is fantastic. <laughs> I could never get PA work. Um, I know that sounds silly, like it's a PA. No, I mean, it's really competitive out here even now. It was really hard for me to even break into like my first gig. So really? I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and it was it's very much so like once you're in, then is when like you start having connections. But it's very hard to just get your foot yeah. in the door. You know I, mean? I like offered so much to NYU students, to Columbia, like grad students. Like, do you need a PA for your short? Who doesn't need a PA for their 
like their student short and it yeah. just like never happened like they're like mm. and i'm like i swear i'm really responsible <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. know, but um, it was just like impossible, and they were just like calling the premier or whatever, or like you know who you knew. Yeah, for an assist, like an assistant job, and it's still like that's still the case. Like you know, you're yeah. saying, and um, so I wanted, so I always thought of going back to my, my high school, which is all women. It's all like very feminist type of um school and I really want these girls to be to be able to compete with all these boys who have like equipment thrust into their hands and are making like the you know the Spielberg super eights when they're 16 and stuff like that yeah and you know like while while Spielberg's making a super eight like the girls are are dancing on point and reciting Shakespeare and that's fabulous right but we need to be able to compete once we like graduate from like even I it took me so long to figure out like for I graduated and I started acting immediately and then I started um writing as a response to the roles for women and Hispanics because they were ridiculous and then um it took me another you know however many years of research to be able to produce my first film um it just took it took me so much longer than it, it should have if i if i had some you know if i been encouraged in high school to or when i was younger you know um Anyway, yeah. so so um, so I started mentoring. I, I found about about girls right now uh, through a job. I was I was uh, working in human research. I've worked in literally everything. <laughs> I'm trying to like <laughs> yeah. I worked in literally everything. So like six months ago, I was working in human resources. I'm no longer, of course. Anyway, so um, I I found out about girls right now because I was trying to get more women to the company, and um, and I found out. And so I applied. I'm like that sounds great. And then I also approached my high school. And was like, listen, you know, I'm in no position to donate a shit ton of money to start, you know, like, <laughs> like a film department. If you don't, yeah. have, I don't know if they have one. I still don't know. Um, but uh, I'm, but it's a good idea to, you know, start thinking about it like someday. And then I was connected to a senior um, high school student who wanted to make a film, and so. I meant so those were my two mentorships this year and my whole thing is like I just want women to be able to to graduate college and compete and yeah and know how know how to turn on like a simple cannon or whatever know what an SD card mm-hmm. is that we ran into that problem earlier <laughs> literally <laughs> Luckily, we knew what it was but 10 years ago I didn't know what it was <laughs> anyway um yeah so that's why like please let's continue to take ballet and, and recite Shakespeare, but let's also like have a camera in our hands and learn structure for writing a great story because we need to compete. There's a healthy balance and there's also, we need to teach people young. I think it's all about teaching people young and acquiring skills once you're young. It's also trying to decipher what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And I think it's, it's, hard, it's yeah. so, it's important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never would have thought when I was younger that I wanted to make films and TV. I didn't know that. But you knew you wanted to be in them. I knew since I was a little girl that I wanted to be an actress. And But I, I think that that is for... I think it's becoming more fluid, but for artists... 
Um, sometimes it's a little difficult if you ha- if you wear more than one hat mm. because people don't like take you seriously in one you know in one avenue. But I've I since learned being part of um, a women filmmaking group uh, groups actually, um, I've seen that women wear so many different hats because they have to mm-hmm. because the resources aren't as plentiful and the yeah. opportunities aren't as much um, as as typically are offered to men. So, so like a, a, a man graduate, you know, like a 25 year old man graduating from film school or whatever could probably get money, like an investor and a producer and maybe he'll write his own script or something mm-hmm. and direct it. Um, but a woman, like a 24-year-old, five-year-old woman graduating is going to have a bit of a tough time getting an investor. And she might have, she's probably going to have to produce it herself. Yeah. And it's, and she's also going to be writing and directing. <laughs> so, so like when I, when younger women are joining the women in film group that I've been a part of for years, um, and everyone's always like, I need a producer, I need a producer, I need a producer. You know, everyone, of course, everyone needs a producer. But I always say, I'm like, you know, if you're doing an independent film and you're a woman, you're going to produce it. Mm-hmm. Someone else will help you. Yeah. But be prepared. You are, start producing now. And be then, prepared when you're writing it, basically. Just, yeah. just produce that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, like, producers and investors are like the unicorns, you know? Yeah, kind of the glue of it all, honestly. Yeah. If you could give one piece of advice for fellow screenwriters, what would you suggest? Well, um, you know what? I think the only I think of more artists instead of screenwriters. Okay. Um, have your hissy fit, but wake up the next day and keep going. Mm. My six-year-old son <laughs> comes out with these little gems every once in a while. And this one, we were like, maybe like six months ago, um, my husband wrote it down and he said to my husband, if, it, if it's difficult, it's just a sign that you're supposed to keep going. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Usually when we hit the, the tiniest little bump, it's like, no, it's not for me. Not meant to be. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It depends. Everyone has a different um, level of resilience. But Mm -hmm. I think I was born, like, that's one of my superpowers, resilience. Mm. You know, you can keep going. Yeah, I don't want to, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm tired of shit. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's a trait that not a lot of people have. Really? Yeah. I mean, do you know how many people are willing to give up? (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> I'm in New York we don't give up uh, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're a true hustler then I mean really yeah. you're a true you know you're a true hustler at that point yeah. but yeah. <laughs> there are many people that are not willing to try and so I think resilience <laughs> would you say you have a lot of discipline if you have a lot of resili- resilience you personally you know I think discipline is a different thing mm. I just think of myself like literally not taking that five mile walk every day <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know that I have discipline, but I have resilience. <laughs> I mean, I try, but um, life's not perfect. And <laughs> I've had a lot of health issues, and now I have this crazy kid who's my son. And <laughs> who's my son? <laughs> He's. I'm not going to be able to discipline anything, not even <laughs> myself. Um, but you have the resilience. But I keep to push through it. Yeah. 
Every day's different. I used to always, I moved around a lot when I was little, um, which I hated. Like, I always had, like, social anxiety, which I didn't even know. It wasn't a thing back then, you know what I mean? But now I'm like, oh, shit. I was, like, really anxious. Um, So every time, every, like, year I was in a new school and, like, it was really hard. But, um, but I remember that I used to see every school year as a new beginning and a new possibilities and potential. And so, like, you kind of see every day as that, too. Like, you wake up, yes, I sleep in, like, two hours more than I should. And no one knows because we're all working from home. And, um, and I catch up with emails quickly. And then, but then, like, once I, like, rub the sleep out of my eyes, I'm like, okay, like, what can I do today? What can I um, outline, what can I, you know what I mean? Like, well, how can I make the most of my day? Yeah. 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 That's the productive way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the checklist way to look and at it. Go, or, yeah. After no, this, yeah. I'm going to go home and outline this kind of weird, funky little thing that I'm trying to write. <laughs> All right. Viviana, do you have anything else to add? No, I know that 90% of this isn't going to be fun talking. I did too. Where can people find your work? I have a website, VivianaLeo.com. That's with one N. And my film production company is called Morning Dove Films. So we have MorningDoveFilms.com. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys heard it here. Um, this has been a lovely episode. Thank you so much, Viviana. I had so much fun talking to you. I'm like, okay. We're starting again. Yeah. It's been a really good time. Thank you to Justine and Viviana for closing out an amazing season one by sharing their work, their thoughts, and their conversation with us. And a very special thank you to our listeners for joining us in this finale episode of Speaking in First Draft. But don't worry, we'll be back. So make sure to keep a lookout for season two, which will be here sooner than you think. In the meantime, subscribe to Speaking in First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. Much like the drafts in these episodes, we're just starting out and we'd greatly appreciate any feedback you have. Leave us a review wherever you listen to this episode and share it with your friends to get them amped up for our season two premiere. This episode is a production of Girls Right Now. It was hosted by me, Catherine Destin, produced by both Vani Kura and myself, edited by Sally Familia, and recorded by Justine Ramirez at PNT Knitwear Podcast Studio in New York's Lower East Side. See you next time, and happy writing.